Dark Depth Podcast, or go to Faith for the Modern and Legacy Format. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I'm here with the man of the lamp himself, Michael Mapson. How are you? I'm tired. How are you? Yeah, about the same. We are, once again, getting the last couple weeks, but my kids finished their AP exam, so I am in good spirits. It seemed like it, it went well for them, so... Yeah, just trying to trying to ride it out for the next month or so, and then uh, I'm done school for at least a couple weeks. Nice, nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's, how's work going on your end? Uh, it's been a very frustrating past two days, but that's that's okay. okay. And then the train ride has also been frustrating because the past two days, uh, the train has just decided to stop moving mm-hmm. for awesome. an extended period of time. Um, which today was worse because then it meant uh, after I got off the train, I've gotten a short drive home from the train station and mm-hmm. I was then stuck behind a different train because my first train was delayed. Jeez. <laughs> the, the hits keep coming. Uh, well, okay. I, I do want to keep listening to you getting bodied by trains, but I we <laughs> I know we, we're going to end up having a, a shorter show today too, so I want to make sure we get the get into some meat here. Uh, did you get to watch the, any of the Pro Tour coverage over the weekend? I did. Um, I kind of wanted to watch more, but also I, I don't know, like, I was enjoying watching it, but I'm also not invested in Sanders right now, uh, so. Yeah, uh, that's... Plus I was busy. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that I'm not super confident about with Standard, and we can talk about that a little bit later, too, but... Um, it was very cool to see Magic back on the on a large stage, and I think that's something. Hopefully, that is a good sign for things to come. I know uh, one of Huey uh, Huey Jensen's big initiatives when uh, becoming head of um, organized play was trying to make sure we got back to the, what made Magic great. Um, I, I guess I don't want to say he made Magic great again. That's that's a whole different thing. Uh, but he wanted to get back to what made Magic unique. Right, those large events, the top decks, the announcers, the live action, that action in the booth um, and at the tables. And I, I really felt like really engaged by the, the coverage they did, even though I'm not a big standard player right now. Uh, just watching the excitement uh, in the games was uh, really cool. Yeah, definitely lots of excitement. I mean, it felt very similar to the last Pro Tour. Uh, you know, people were excited to see it on the stage. And I saw a lot of people say, oh, I, like, you know, after this weekend, I kind of want to play Standard. And, you know, to be fair, I said I'm not invested in Standard. It's not like I even think Standard's bad right now. It's just, you know, I'm trying to get ready for the Pioneer RCQ. And then if I'm going to, or Pioneer RC, and if I'm going to play a format for fun, uh, you know, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. pick Modern or Legacy. Yeah, I, I definitely respect that. I, I'm in a similar boat, too. Like, my time is definitely limited, and when I do get to play, I'd rather be playing a, a format that I at least have some personal investment in. Like, obviously, I love playing Legacy. I love playing Modern. Right now, we have got the uh, the Mana Traders event, which is the qualifying season, is Modern, so a little more incentives to play there for me. And I guess we do have, I think the RCQs over the summer are uh, Modern as well, right? Uh, no, it's they're Pioneer because they're queuing. Um, they're queuing for Atlanta, which will be Pioneer. Oh, okay, okay. So, I mean, like, there's so there's still some incentive for me to play Pioneer, but not necessarily standard. Like, definitely agree with you there. But 
there definitely are some things that look pretty exciting, pretty cool, but like there's also some things in the standard format that don't look like I'd like to... I wouldn't be having much fun. Uh, in particular, some some red and black cards in particular uh, do not seem super appealing to me in standard. I'm, not, I'm sure you could probably guess which two cards I'm thinking of. Uh, you're probably thinking of Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which is actually a fun card to play with, so wrong for that. And uh, Invoke Despair, which is kind of less fun. Definitely less fun. Yeah. It's... Uh, and once again, both of those cards, I think Fable the Mirror Breaker is a card that we, you know, we've obviously been seeing in every format it's legal. Um, like, somehow going back to, I've seen it in vintage decks before, like, the card is just absurdly powerful, and for three mana, it's a really strong effect that obviously can take over games. Um, we've seen Invoke Despair at least showing up in uh, Modern and, you know, looking decent, right? In a, in a shell that has, like, you know, your Cabal Coffers and things like that. Like, it, it is a card that does show up that people, you know, are expecting to see. And I, it's not... It, that is not a, a play experience that I'm really excited about uh, as someone coming into the format. Like, I don't know... It just seems really odd to me that those cards would be uh, so so oppressive um, and so powerful for uh, what they can do in, in Standard. And there's really nothing... Comparative, uh, comparatively strong in the format to, to combat it, in my mind. Yeah. So, we'll see, I guess, how that how that turns out. And, you know, normally, I, I don't think, we wouldn't talk about standards so much, but uh, obviously it was the Pro Tour format, and uh, Nathan Stewart did a fantastic job winning this event. Um, he's just on an absolute monster tear right now. It, it's Amazing to see what Nathan's been able to do in the past well, a year and a half, two months, or two years, rather. Yeah. Uh, so something I don't think uh, necessarily everyone realizes is he's not new to the game, right? Like, he's been playing since he was a little kid. There's You can find coverage of him at GPs when he's, like, 12 years old. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know... I mean, I've heard some of what he did over the past two years to try to improve his game, but, like, it is really, really working for him. So mm -hmm. just to, like, run through it real quick, he has won two of the Mox showcases, which even just qualifying for those things is difficult. So the fact yeah. he was able to qualify for two in a row and then win them, um, also becoming the first person to win, not by, like, 3 0 one of the formats and then winning the, like, kind of the playoff match or whatever you want to call it. He just won six matches and was like, nah, I'm just the best. Um, yeah. And then he was like, I'm going to continue to be the best and win Worlds. Uh, then, you know, lost in the top eight of a Pro Tour to the winner of the Pro Tour. So, you know, doesn't feel too bad. And then was like, you know what? Losing to the winner isn't good enough. I want to be the winner. Uh, so that, I mean, it's just nuts, right? Like his last... His last three major events, he's won two of them and top eight at the third. Like, it's insane. Yeah, and I think we're in a we're in an era, and I, I'm not sure if you feel the same way or not. But in my mind, when I was younger, at least, you know, growing up, Magic players were just certain players were dominating eras, right? Like there was the John Finkel, there was the Kai Bude, even like locally. Um, this is going back a ways here, but. Uh, when they used to do, like, the ELO readings and stuff like that, um, 
I believe his name was Jordan Berkowitz. Uh, not to not to put him on on blast or anything like that, but he was just like the top uh, Elo player in in Pennsylvania. And you would always go to uh, you know an event, and you would see Jordan Berkowitz, and you're like, oh geez, that guy's a monster. He's so good. Um, and you know, dominating like a local scene. So thinking about players who are dominating eras, dominating periods in time and magic, it, it's I, I mean, so used to seeing uh, the the Reed Dukes, and Reed Duke obviously not to take away from his last eighteen months or something like that. I mean, he's also a fantastic player and has put up really solid results, obviously. Um, but you know, watching the Reed Dukes, the LSVs, it's it's really amazing to see how different those are because I, I imagine all those people and there's a smattering of other people obviously within that time period uh, but I don't remember having a streak so com- uh, tightly compacted like this uh, since uh, a Finkel or a uh, you know even a, a Kai Bude. like I'm not used to seeing such high results in such a short window uh, I don't think like Paulo has even done that uh, well recall LSV kind of did it, right? LSV top eight at three Pro Tours in a row. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. I, granted, not as impressive, uh, which is, like, insane, right? Because, you know, I think most people would, like, they would pay a lot, well, I mean, like, obviously, because they would get paid a lot of money. But, like, a, a lot of players would give a lot to be told that they would top eight three Pro Tours in a row. And what Sawyer has done is, like, more impressive than that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it it's an amazing feat, and I, you know, and this is not a a pro tour that was, you know, just Nathan Stewart and like seven robots, right? It was there was some heat in that top eight. I mean, uh, Alden Burchett, I think, is very easily one of the the better players that I, I think somehow still underrated, which is very confusing to me. I think I think maybe it's the American slant to it, um, but I mean, Autumn is just like an insane deck builder and player. Um, and st- somehow doesn't get the respect that they deserve. Uh, Keen Reinhardt obviously was uh, in the finals of the Pro Tour as well, and Kane, uh, once again, I think Kane had one of my favorite moments, um, you know, them qualifying for the uh, top eight with a, a really good emotional moment, which I was really excited to to watch. But, you know, I, I've just been really impressed by everything that's been happening, and uh, just seeing someone dominating so much while being in a top eight with your Javier Dominguez, your uh, Simon Nielsen, Autumn Burchett, Kane Reinhardt, like that's that's really good company to be keeping. Um, and it, if anything, I think it makes the win even that much more impressive. Yeah, definitely. Um, you also you mentioned Eli, uh, so you know there is still the current MTG Elo project, and mm-hmm. you know what's insane is Nathan is not number one, which oh, geez, is really just kind of, kind of nuts. Um, number one is his teammate, David Inglis. Um, oh, yeah. So Can Grams is also, you know, certainly having a very strong, strong year in, in his own right, so. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's, it's very wild. Um and being on a team, I think being successful like that, I think does require a team. So it it's no surprise to see a, a cohort of players doing very well, uh, being able to feed off the energy of each other, the um, 
the decision making of, of each other um, and obviously the testing as well I mean that is one of the best ways to be successful just finding people who work well with you right that is that is it um, people who can complement your weaknesses or um, you know you can work productively with and I, I think you know we're still I don't want to say this is like, back in my day uh, people used to have testing houses right where they were going to go play magic and you know not talk to the world for two weeks and they would try to come out with the best deck in the expected metagame and you know we're just in a very digital age where I mean you obviously can still take that time off of work and life but you know we see just a lot of this happening on the internet now not not requiring you to be holed up somewhere you can just test games online and you know play challenges and things like that and figure out what the best deck is it's uh, I, I don't know if it's I don't know if you think it's easier or harder to, to test for a big event. I know you've been doing that um, more a lot more in the past, like, two years than you have before. Um, so I will say the testing houses definitely still exist. I don't necessarily know if it's easier or harder to prep for events. Uh, I think it is... I'm pretty sure it's easier now, though. There's just so much information you can get online. Um, I would say it might have been easier... I, I'm trying to figure out if it's, like easier now or like two years ago almost just because uh, a lot of the information now is paywalled behind patreons mm -hmm. uh, whereas like two years ago you would like go to star city or go to cfb and read stuff for free but when you pay for these patreon things a lot of times you get more detail um, mm -hmm. so i think it's very easy to kind of know what's good going into an event uh and then so, like, in a way, it's easier to prep, but then because everybody kind of has access to all the information, you really do have to, like, know how to play the matches and try to figure out where you can get edges there. Um, so, I think it's easier to prep, but the better players still are going to just, like, come out ahead just because they're going to sit down and they're going to play perfectly, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's actually something that someone had mentioned too like you know why is uh, john finkel and kai bude one of the best players ever apollo and the thief uh and especially with those three right they it's not like finkel was good for two years and then dropped off like i mean finkel has pro tour top eights that were way well past his heyday like kai bude has had them and the thief has had them um it just there's this ability for them to have a playstyle that is just so much crisper and cleaner than everybody else that you know they take advantage of more opportunities um, so much more consistently than a, another player would um, so when they find themselves in the situations when the cards do fall their way uh, when they get past that rare that they need or that uncommon that really ties their deck together and draft like all those things um, allow them to convert and that I think that's what one of the big things is with these players, it's not like Nathan's not getting, it's not like he's getting lucky, right? He's putting in all this work and it is actually manifesting as, as victories and top eights and, and you know, qualifications even. Like you said, qualifying for the mocks is hard enough, let alone winning it. Um, so it's, it, it, I, whatever he's doing in particular is just a step above what the competitors are doing um, and and I think in an era, you know, back in the, we're going to go to the, the 2000s, right, early 2000s, or 
uh, late 90s, right? You could have this huge edge by being the one or two people who in the room who are at that level. Um, and I, I think you, you mentioned this before too, is this, the, the floor has kind of risen up. Uh, I think the era of people playing Star, uh, playing Star City events, having access to high-level events um, like that, but being able to actually access knowledge that isn't, you know, hidden on some, um, some weird uh, web page, but is on Star City Games, Channel Fireball. Um, I think that era that we saw, 2000, I'm going to say 2008 to, uh, no, 2008, 2012 to uh, 2019, right? I think that did leaps and bounds for the game of Magic. Um, so for someone to still be dominant, as dominant, in a field that I think is much more competitive overall, um, still somehow gets more impressive for Nathan. Yeah. It's it's kind of insane. Um, right. He's just very good. Very good. And I'm kind of, this going back with the Pro Tour now, we kind of have to pay attention to this a little bit more because... One of the things that they mentioned, announced, I guess, uh, during the Pro Tour is that we are going to see a longer ex uh, rotation schedule for Standard, right? This is going to be one of the first years we don't actually have a rotation uh, in the fall. We're just going to keep going. They have two, uh, they'll have two complete sets, and they're going to add in uh, a third year, and then Standard will be retiring after three years of sets, not two years, um, which is a... You know, very different thing. Um, I'm not sure if you remember the the old uh, schedules, but like you know, this is a a far cry from the uh, 18 month schedule that we that we had announced for at least a little bit, uh, not too many years ago. Uh, I I don't really pay attention to how long standard is at any given point. It's just you know, I go to what's in standard .com and they tell me what I am allowed to play with, and then I move on with my life. Okay. Uh, well, with with the longer schedule, do you, uh, the longer rotation uh, schedule at least, uh, do you kind of foresee any benefits for people playing uh, modern or legacy? Do you think there's any benefit to having a three-year standard? Um, I don't really think it matters that much. Um, so, like, I think it's good for the standard format. Uh, so, in a sense, it's good for modern and legacy players, because if they're interested in playing standard, you will hopefully have a better format. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. Not too, too much else to say about it, I don't think. The, the one thing I, that I at least thought was thinking about was, if we're having a longer rotation, that does mean some of the cards... Um, and, like, what we were talking about Fable and the Mirror Breaker before uh, you're invoked. Uh, despairs, all that fun stuff. Like those cards are just gonna be more relevant, relevant for longer. Which I, I'm not sure. And once again, I'm not a finance person. I, we could, I'm sure, we could ask DJ from Brainstorm Brewery if on his opinions. But um, I, I, I wonder how that affects the price of those cards going late. Because there's always a, a period where cards rotate out of standard, and they're they're good. They could they could see play in modern or legacy, but they're not great. So they end up, you know, dropping prices once the standard demand goes down. And, you know, there's a couple decks that are playing them in modern, so that's great. And then eventually, you know, the price starts to go back up on them. And that that's kind of the biggest thing that I'm I'm seeing, at least in terms of, you know, the cards themselves. 
the one thing that I think that actually might be, I don't want to say an issue, but um, a concern, I guess, is that it, it seems like they're putting a lot more emphasis on standard, trying to revitalize it. And I, I do understand it is like the lifeblood of the LGS. It's the thing that the lowest barrier to entry in a lot of ways for people getting into magic. Uh, and you do want it to be accessible and you want it to be fun and you want people to uh, be able to step away for uh, a couple months and not have to change their entire 75, maybe just change a couple cards here or there, uh, which this allows you to do. But my my concern, though, is it, it seems like they've already taken a big step in saying that Pioneer is going to be a, a format that we want to focus on. This is something that's important to us. And now they're saying, okay, well, now Standard is a, is a format we care about. This is important to us. And I'm like, I don't know how many how many mouths they're trying to feed here, but, like, you can't have two Standard Pro Tours and two Pioneer Pro Tours and have uh, a modern Pro Tour. Like, that's that's too many. So I, I'm afraid there's just not going to be enough mouths to feed, and we're going to end up in a situation where uh, the modern support doesn't, get as much as it does at the, at the Pro Tour stage um, as I, I personally would have hoped for. Uh, so my understanding is moving forward, they are going to continue with three Pro Tours a year, and one will be Standard, one will be Pioneer, and one will be Modern. So okay. I don't think it's a matter of like, oh, we're going to try to fix Standard and push other formats out. I just think they want all formats to be good, and they want it so like, players are willing to show up to their weekly events to play Standard. Or when Standard uh, RCQ season comes around, you don't just have, like, half the numbers that you had for a Pioneer RCQ season. Uh, I, and I could be wrong, things could change, but that that's my understanding of what they're doing here. Okay. Yeah, they, they did mention in that announcement, talking about the three-year rotation, that they were planning on some, some larger organized play decisions regarding standard uh, as a, in a push attempt. So I am in, interested to see what that is. Um, maybe it is that we do get back to some large scale events or, you know, just some more opportunities, honestly, for, for standard play, which I, I'd be happy with. I just, I really wish um, that we do get to see some more stuff. Like, I at this point, I think with, with Wizard proper. I don't think we're going to see the support for Legacy. I, The ship has sailed for me. That's okay. We still get the Eternal Weekends. We still get the uh, Legacy Pit Opens. We, you know, we get all those those big marquee events. We still have BCDL doing the Lord's work there, too. Like, we have all these big companies doing uh, these events, so I'm, I'll am i be okay on Legacy. I just don't want Modern to, to lose too much steam. Uh, once again, I think one of the one of the better formats as far as keeping players engaged and keeping their collections, you know, viable long-term. So it just seems like a place you don't want to, don't want to lose your players. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just like not worried about it. I'm pretty sure they're not going to do anything to harm their most popular format too much. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I would, I would hope so. Right. But once again, you, it's only, there's only so many, events and so many things you can do and say um and honestly i think the for people who are playing modern i think the format gets a little bit more confusing every time they release a new set such as the new lord of the Rings set which they did put some previews out for it we don't need to talk about um you know the previews from that set but just the 
amount of things that they're adding to that set to add to the complexity of it. Um, I think it's a it's another thing that I don't know may, might make it more difficult for for modern players. Eh. Okay. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that was that was one of the things I'm just excited about. I mean, just overall having the opportunity to play these kind of events, I think is is important. And I I've been trying to play a little bit more just because you know I think it's obviously good for the show. Right? I think the more we play, the better it is for content and whatnot. Um, I I actually got to play a little bit of Delver, which was really exciting. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw, but the Legacy Challenge, uh, one of them, I believe it was the one on uh, Sunday, um, the 7th, uh, was actually won by Blue Red Delver, and I was like, there's no way this list is good. And I played it. I like it. It's pretty pretty nice. It's, uh, uh, for those who didn't see this, uh, the Sunday Challenge was won by Sahak Vic, uh, which is a unique name, uh, but the deck is pretty kind of what you would expect right, in terms of uh, Delver Secrets, Dragon Rage Channel, and Merc Tides, but there are two Sprite Dragons and two Brazen Borrowers. Um, the, the deck ends up being a little bit more creature-dense um, as, as opposed to different versions, earlier versions, um, and I think that's kind of what you need. Um, I think being able to actually go up to 16 creatures in the deck does give you some game. Um, Brazen Borrower has been pretty decent. Uh, not fantastic, but but decent. Uh, Sprite Dragon has actually been really solid too. Just being able to just like, bully people in the air, um, being able to protect it. Uh, the removal spells I've been seeing have not been super effective. So being able to have Sprite Dragon is something that stumbles out of control. While you can, you know, control the game and the board with your lightning bolts and stuff like that. The the deck has been pretty solid. Been pretty impressed. I've gotten a. Uh, four one so far. Um, I'm gonna try to do uh, league number two and three tonight if I can. It's a lot of moto on a mm -hmm. weekday. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Delver doing Delver things. I <laughs> this is like not surprising. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I could definitely see that. It's it, it definitely. The fact that it's changed direction in a lot of ways, I think, is, is cool. Um, I know Delver, is, with only being a two-color deck, the fact that it can change direction and shell so so well, I think, is really nice. Uh, I didn't really consider the a more aggressive approach to be uh, something I wanted to do, but it seems to be working, so we'll roll with it for now. Um, Did you see the deck that came in first in the Swiss? Uh which one? I'm not sure which one that is. True Futurism. Oh, who yes. We know, as, uh, we know them as a 12-post player, mm. but, yeah, they showed out with this cool Grixis deck, which, you know, if somebody was going to tell me they were going to play Delver, I'd tell them to play this instead. Not necessarily because I think it's better. I have no thoughts on if it's better or worse, but it's mm. way cooler. Yeah, so if for those who haven't seen this one, it is a Grixis deck. Uh, so you're playing your normal stuff, you know, your your fairy mastermind, your chrome host, seed sharks, you know, it's a, it's a pretty typical deck, which is uh, which is great for everybody. Not much up, no, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, build. Uh, it does have that Delver feel to it, because it is playing Dragon Reach Channeler, it is playing Murktide Regent, it is play, playing Bra Brazen Borrower. 
Uh, but Fairy Mastermind has been a card that we've been seeing popping up more and more. It's been very impressive in the games that I've seen it. I haven't played with it yet, but I've definitely played against it, and it's been problematic. Um, and I know you were playing, actually, with uh, Chrome Host Seed Shark. Uh, for those who don't remember this, it's too generic and a blue for a 2-4 flyer. Uh, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you incubate X, where X is that spell's uh, mana cost. Uh, incubate, for those who don't remember, uh, you create a incubator token with X-1-1 counters on it, and you can pay two to transform it into a 0-0 Phyrexian artifact creature. Uh, how have you liked playing with Chrome Host Seed Shark? So it is worth noting I've not played this card in Legacy, uh, but this card has been very impressive to me. Uh, so I've only played it in Pioneer, and I played it out of Phoenix, where it can do exceptionally scary things because you ca like uh, you cast a Treasure Cruise for one mana, so you make a three mana eight like three three mana for eight eight draw three cards is uh, pretty good in case you weren't sure. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't do anything quite as scary as that in Delver, or, or in Legacy, I mean. But even just, like, getting to snuff out something, and then, like, so now you have two mana, like, kill your thing, make a 4-4. Four four, like, that seems pretty good still, you know? Um, and the fact that this card, uh, like, if you're playing against something like Control, uh, you can go wide with your creatures, and then if they terminus you, you can just go, okay, time to flip over all of these uh, these incubate tokens, mm. and now I have a board again. Like It's a really powerful effect, and um, I'm excited to see what this card does in Legacy. Like I've also seen, you know, we have friends talking about playing it in 8-cast, and I know Caleb Durward uh, was streaming a bit ago, playing this in, like, a Tazeret shell, because with, uh, you know, Tezzeret Agent of Bolas, you can turn something into a 5-5, and then it's got, like, the however many counters on it, so all of a sudden you cast, you know, a Force of Will, and then you tick up your Tezzeret on the token, and you just have a 10-10. Mm, jeez, okay. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, and honestly, the fact that it's a 2-4, I think, is so relevant. I mean, in Modern and Legacy, like, being able to block a Dragon Rage Channeler or Delver, I think, is huge. Being able to attack and not get eaten by an Endurance, I think, is a, a very underrated thing um, with four toughness. Um, being able to evade a Lightning Bolt is important. Uh, just four toughness is a very, a very special number in Magic, um, and that definitely helps this uh, be a little bit more reliable, right? Like, I, I don't necessarily want to tap out for three mana and get nothing out of the deal. Uh, at least being able to have this, you know, have to eat two spells if it's going to die, you know, with the exception of Unholy Heat or Source of Plowshare or something like that, but uh, a lot of situations it's hard to deal with without, you know, getting some re residuals, right? Like, uh, this deck, I think, this, which I think is interesting too. Like I'm, I was like, oh well, you get to play Days, which is nice. And like they're actually not playing Days; they're playing Force of Will, uh, which once again being able to, um, like they try to swords your shark, you Force of Will the, the uh, swords, and you get a five five out of the deal. Like that's huge. Uh, but they also are playing Snuff Out too, which you know that's another pay four life, get a four four. It's a pretty solid way to uh, take over a game. 
One last thing I want to say about this card is I don't know if wizards know where sharks live because this is the second time in recent memory that we have flying sharks. And that's just, like, not a normal thing. Well, I mean, it depends on where, you're, where you are, right? Obviously, if you live in, well, I guess it's, what, Florida? Is that where that, where uh, Sharknado happened? I don't remember, man. Have you ever seen that movie? I have. It was a great use of my time. Oh, my gosh. It was uh, definitely an experience that I will never be able to reclaim. So I <laughs> I was definitely uh, happy to see the, the small portion of it that I did. It was a fascinating movie. There are six uh, of them, if you Oh, my gosh. That is too many. That is... Uh, um, Oh, it's perfect. And as as they go, I believe that the I think the cast gets ridiculous or more and more ridiculous as it continues if memory serves. Of course uh, they do. They've got like some super random cameos. Like so random. It's just And I wonder I do wonder how much of it was like them going, you know who would be perfect for this? This person versus like I wonder if it was somebody just going, who are my favorite actors? How can I get them all? Or, like, were the actors just like, I went in on this ridiculousness. Like, there's so much. Well, I, I do appreciate the fact that you're going to do this movie, you read the script, you're like, now nah, I'm doing this, this is happening. Like, I, if you're going to do that movie, if you're going to be that actor, please commit just to the bit. I feel like you have to. And that's, that's at least something good coming out of that. That's so, oh my gosh, it's so funny. Um, I think Mark Cuban being a main character in the third movie is my favorite. Wait, what? He's a main character? <laughs> you have to get one of the sharks, you know, shark on shark tank, so... Oh he, my god, yes. I, It's just perfect. Also, if you go to specifically Sharknado 3 on Wikipedia and just look at the cast list, the supporting cast is like 40 people. <laughs> Sharknado 3. Um, uh, Sharknado 3, oh hell no. Well, that's good. Um... I know Tara Reid. I love Tara Reid. Uh, my, my love of her is from... Uh, what is that? Uh, Scrubs. I love her in Scrubs. Uh, Mark Cuban. David, David Hasselhoff. And Coulter. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Frankie Muniz is in this movie, too? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, you're right, clearly. I mean, that is... That's who I would <laughs> Do you see how many people are in this movie? Like, jeez. But, like, even, like, some of these characters, I'm like, oh, so what What do they do? And, like, they're just, like, random-sounding people. Like, uh, Kathy Sherbo is Nova Clark, a former waitress at Finn's Restaurant. It's like, how's that a main character? Like, Mark yeah, McGrath, Finn's brother-in-law. George R. R. Martin, the guy who wrote, like, the books that Game of Thrones is based off of, is in this movie. Oh my god. C- comedian Bill Engvall. Um, Maria Menudez, who, if you ever go to like uh, Movie Tavern, it's what we have locally, but Maria Menudez is like the person who does like the previews. Like, 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 thank you for watching our movies. Like, that's the person. Um, she's also uh, CJ Sorkin in this movie, too. Um, okay, we, that... have, we have gone, uh, I think we've gotten sufficiently derailed, as much as I want to keep talking about Sharknado. I mean, like, we... Penn and Teller are in this movie? Ray J's in it? Jerry Springer's in this? R.I.P., of course. Um, 
this is I have Anthony Weiner somehow in this movie. Okay, I have to come back to this. How Brian Mitchell in this? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah, I have to come back to this because this is absurd. Hoda's in this. Kathy Lee Gifford. Oh my gosh. Okay, never mind. I'm done. I'm done looking at this. Um, all right. So something I do want to touch on too, because I've been playing Legacy. I've been playing a bunch of leagues and things like that. The card I keep seeing over and over and over is Uro. I it it's popping up in a lot of different shells. It's like Delver. Like I mean, it's showing up in Delver. It's showing up in like four color like Minskin Boo piles. It's showing up with uh, what's that? The staff of the fable. Staff whatever. of the storyteller. Staff of the storyteller, like. I've seen it in so many different shells, and I, I don't know which one is my favorite, but I've been... It, it's just crazy to see a card like that just... I mean, obviously, it is very strong. It, it does a lot of powerful things, yes, but, like, it is just, like, one of the like, the biggest pieces in, in Legacy, and I, I feel like it's actually able to finish games pretty quickly now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know card was good the first week it was out, and it has never really stopped being good. Mm-hmm. Uh, have, have you gotten to see, like, the like the bug lists with it? I have. Uh, the For those who haven't seen this, it, it is an error list. Uh, you're playing... There are very few four ofs in this deck. I, I, we'll start there. Um, you have, like, four brainstorms, four ponders, four force of wills, and then, like, it's just a smattering of, like, threes and twos and a couple ones here and there, but um, the numbers on this list, I'm looking at this from Second Siege Rhino um, from one of the, the challenge, the Sunday challenge. Um, you know, playing this deck is really hard to navigate because, like, they do have Baleful Strixes, they do have Tarmogoyf, which are kind of easy enough to, to target, right? You know, a Fatal Push here or maybe a Lightning Bolt there. Uh, but, like, the random one of that you have to engage with, like the, the Grist, the Hunger Tide, uh, a minor misstep. Um, the Thought Seasons have been actually especially brutal for me uh, in the games that I have been playing. Um, even the Wither Bloom Command, which I know is a card uh, when it came out in Strixhaven, we were kind of interested in because uh, it does, I think, uh, enough to be solid. Uh, it has been, uh, it's really interesting. I, I haven't lost to it yet, but. At least the games seem like I understand why it is a powerful deck and you know was able to top eight a challenge. Yeah, I mean, just good cards that deck will always be relatively strong. Yeah, and that's that's kind of how I feel about the the four color version too, because you know being able to play you know I guess everything sands black, um, having Uro tie together the Minskin Boo. Life in the Loam, uh, you know, Force and Negation deck. This is, I, I guess, very similar to, like, an OnCD special, but um, this is another deck, too, that, like, the fact that they were like, you know what, I'm just going to put Fable the Mirror Breaker in here. Does anyone mind? Nope. Cool. Doing it. Um, this, this is another deck I've just been, I've been playing games with, and I, this is actually one of where most of my losses have been coming from, because it's just hard to keep up with this kind of card advantage. You know what's always really interesting to me about Fable? Hmm. It is a very good card. Uh, yes. Nobody's saying it's not, right? Good. Yeah. We all kind of slept on it for a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. But I feel like 
It is so similar to Season Pirate Dancer. Uh, and obviously they're not the same card. But no. they are so similar in so many respects. And Season Pyromancer is just so much worse than Fable. <laughs> that's always that's always interesting to me because they're so, so similar. I mean, there's certain situations where Season Pyromancer is better, right? I mean, like, having that be your last card in hand and discard nothing and just draw two cards, I think is is solid. It's a, at least a Null Drifter, right? Like, I don't mind that. Um, and being able to actually put relevant cards in your graveyard, I mean, the number of times I've seen people discard, like, Archon of Cruelty, and I'm like, ah, it's not good for me. Um, it's really high, so... Uh, I mean, I, I think, arguably, they're, they're both super powerful. I, it's weird that we do... I think you're right, though. It is weird that we live in a time where, like, these cards that have been printed essentially within a year of each other, one is... or It's two years, right? But one card is super regaled for how good it is, and the other one's like, eh, yeah, I guess you can play that, too. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of it, I, I understand a lot of it is that Season Pyromancer costs red, red. Hmm. Uh, but it it's still just, like, wild to me. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And there are some, you know, cute tricks you can do with uh, Fable the Mirror Breaker. It's an enchantment which is pretty hard to interact with. I guess you don't really want to interact with Season Pyromancer, though. Like, I think once it's done its thing, it's, it's kind of over, right? Like, I'm not really interested in trying to eat your two-power creature. I'd rather not have it come into play in the first place. Uh, Fable kind of does the same thing, too, where, like, I I, I kind of don't want to kill your 2-2 early. The loot is something I can't really interact with profitably anyway, so, like, who cares? And then once you flip it over, like, I have a turn before you start copying annoying stuff. Um, <laughs> I did get a... I, I think you'd be happy or disappointed. I got a Kite Sail Freebooter Locked with Reflection of Kiki-Jiki, which was uh, a, a delight. Um, not, oh, not that card. What was that card? Um, no, it was that. It was that. Uh, Don't you get the card back when Kite Sail dies? Yeah, you do. But, like, it just... It was annoying enough that I couldn't actually, like, do anything, and I ended up losing losing the game because of it. So... It was it was not fun. Because essentially I was like at a point where I needed to do everything at sorcery speed, so just like up uh, during my draw step they would take my card, and then if it was a sorcery, I just, or a sorcery or a creature, I could never cast it. So, it was it was good. I ended up losing. Obviously. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think overall this is a, you know, a, a place to kind of keep in mind if you are in the deck building process or, uh, I haven't played Legacy in a, in a while. Like, uh, obviously, some of these decks are coming back, but like, I think Uro is one of the biggest things you should be aware of and uh, have a plan for uh, if you're if you're continuing to play. Like, there are definitely some other decks that have been doing well. Uh, I think uh, Par- uh, Parrotlet uh, had a really strong finish with uh, Death and Taxes, and you know we're seeing Acast still put up really good finishes. Uh, Initiative has been doing pretty solid as well. So I don't want to say like that's the only thing doing well. Um, and actually, and I, w- I would argue too, the white deck, I think Perez ended up winning w- the other challenge with a deck that is playing like four Chancellor of the Annex in the main deck. So <laughs> I, I definitely think there is uh, a little bit of innovation here. I definitely want to try this list out too, uh, just because it does look really, really interesting. Yeah. The thing I want to try, um, 
I want to try Deep Root Wayfinder. Have you... I, I'm not seeing any list putting up results with that card, but have you seen that card yet? That's the green one, right? The the one that, like, the surveil and bring our, our land back? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've seen it. <laughs> uh, I got Wasteland locked by that, uh, which was fun. Fun for the whole family. Um, that That is an, definitely another card, too. Uh, that... It, it feels like it shouldn't be that good, and then you lose to it, and you're like, no, nah, that makes sense. Um, the I've seen it bring back Wasteland in Legacy. I've seen it bring back Urza Saga in Modern, which, like, if, if the floor is bringing back one of those two cards, that's fantastic. I mean, I think, realistically, the floor is you bringing back a Fetchland, but that's totally fine. I, I don't mind that, uh, just being able to actually, like, ramp on lands, even if it is a, a turn slow, I think it's pretty solid. So, uh, that is definitely another card I'm, I'm interested to see, because I, I think being a green in one, you're competing with a lot of really strong spells, whether that's like Red and Six or Tomboy for whatever, right, for that, that two-mana green slot. Um, I think Red and Six is obviously very similar, so I, I maybe that's a, a good card to complement it. Uh, I think that Tarmogoyf obviously being a creature is possibly a little more aggressive, so maybe you're in a build that doesn't want Ren and Six, maybe you're not playing Red at all, so maybe I could imagine those two like in a bug shell together. Um, but I'm interested to see where that card goes. It, it definitely seems like something that uh, could be pretty solid. Yeah. I know uh, Newton talked about putting it in Elves, um, and Dukes uh, played some with it in Depths. Uh, which is where I want to try it because one of my biggest complaints about green white taps has been for ages like we just don't have two drops mm -hmm. like if you look at my deck list the two drops I have played I tried a scooze for a little bit um, and then it was not good so it got cut I have played obviously someone library that one stays but then it's mm -hmm. like you know sometimes we played once upon a time and uh, I've seen like I tried Tarmogoy if it was bad Tried Scoos, like I said, it was bad. Tried Thalia, it's bad. It's like I just want, it. I just want two drops. Uh, so I'm really excited to try this card. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. Let me know how that goes. Would love to see if that card could be more playable. That that is definitely something I'm, I'd be interested in. Uh, we unfortunately need to get out of here, but uh, Matthew, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on the internet at Expedition Map. And also, if you are, like me, going to DreamHack Dallas, and also, like me, you failed to qualify and got, you know, get that nice free entry, uh, you should purchase your ticket using my code Expedition Map to save yourself 20%. Uh, where can people find you, Billy? Uh, you can find me at Bad Luck Bandit on Twitter. If you're interested in finding the show, we're at Depth underscore podcast on Twitter as well. And I think in person, I'm probably not going to be around too soon, I guess, all things considered. But, um, you know, definitely hit me up on Twitter. I'm on Twitch occasionally, mostly on other people's streams, but I am on Twitch occasionally. So definitely reach out. Uh, I'd love to hear from you all. All right, with that, we should get out of here. Uh, Maps in. I guess I'll see you next week. See you next week. All right, bye.